In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. Glory to God. People who are hungry and thirsty have to rush to an oasis. And that's what we do when we come here on Sunday morning. And for the other services, we're like those who are parched or malnourished, dying out in the wasteland of the world and longing to be united to Christ at his heavenly banquet. And so we flee together as those who are sick and suffering and know that we have no consolation other than that which Christ can give us. We heard over and over throughout this season of great Lent, O Lord of hosts, be with us, for we have none other hope in times of sorrow but thee. O Lord of hosts, have mercy on us. And I truly believe that those who are sick and suffering They have to get to the hospital, even if they need to crawl to get there. Did any of you crawl to get to church today? We have cars, so hopefully you didn't have to crawl. Or if you started, hopefully someone picked you up along the way. And we need one another, beloved in Christ, in order to enter in most fully to this life of co-suffering and co-healing with our Lord Jesus Christ. I say that by way of encouragement as we continue to long to draw near to get a sense of the fullness of what God has to offer to us through his great love for each and every one of us. On this fifth Sunday of Great Lent, I want to say kind of humbly, How dare I open my mouth to speak about the one who wouldn't even speak about herself. The one who didn't want her, the story of her sinful escapades to pollute the air. But beloved in Christ, we know that God brings beauty out of utter desolation. And so just like Abazosimus here in this icon begged St. Mary of Egypt to tell her tale, the tale of her sin and repentance, so we are enjoined once again to call her to remembrance, to remember the great lesson that can be learned from her story that even those by whose actions they should be condemned, even those who have done the worst of the worst, who have destroyed the lives of others, even those who have destroyed the image of God, the handiwork of God that is themselves and others. Even those can be redeemed and called to restoration, to regeneration by the 
loving kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Mary of Egypt is someone who maybe nowadays we would just, if she was around, we would just think she was a college girl or something, or a college boy, you know. Just like the people of our day, she was licentious. She was hedonistic. She, she sought out pleasure from the age of 12. She sought satis worldly satisfaction at the expense of other people. And she made sport of getting out of other people what she wanted. She abused others and abused herself as well. For 17 years, she made this her task, her desire and her duty to seek the most pleasure out of this world. Forgetting God and idolizing not only, not just the world, but her own pleasures, her own sensual desires. Many of you know the story. Some of you were here and heard the whole thing that lasted about 45 or 50 minutes on Wednesday. We won't go that long, but I will summarize. This one who was living a hopeless life of being totally lost, out of curiosity, decided to follow some who were going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And she said, well, I can make sport of those who are traveling there. I don't have any money, for I've never taken any. Pleasure was my recompense. That's all I've desired, and so not having money, I will make myself useful on the trip, seducing many people who are going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. She ended, there at the, ended up there at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, trying to enter in to see what the people were doing who were venerating the precious and life-giving cross. She could not enter the doors. We take for granted what a great blessing it is for you and I in our imperfection to even be able to cross the threshold of the church. We've made excuses for ourselves all week. We've justified our sinful behaviors. We've condemned others and uplifted ourselves. We walk up to the threshold of the church and we can come right in. What boldness with which we approach the throne of grace. I hope our boldness is born from our faith in the healing ability of God and not in the pride of life and the pride of ourselves. She tried, but she could not cross the threshold and she was given a great gift from God and she was accused by her own conscience and she realized why she could not enter the church. It's because of the life of selfishness and sin that I've lived. And instead, like many of us, would probably walk away dejected. What if someone was at the door? Maybe not an invisible force. What if someone was at the door saying, I don't know, you've lived such a sinful life, you cannot come in. What would we do? We would probably say, Forget it then, the church is judgmental. They hate sinners, they're so closed-minded, I'm walking away. She could have done that, but instead she realized she was stricken by her conscience and realized it's because of my sin that I could not enter. She saw an icon of the most holy Theotokos and asked for forgiveness of the most pure one, the most chaste and pure through whose prayers all may be brought 
to purity. Let me enter the church, and after I do, I will dedicate my life to the pursuit of God. She was granted forgiveness. The invisible barrier that prevented her from going in was lifted. She walked in and venerated the precious and life-giving cross, and afterwards she heard a voice saying, Go out beyond the Jordan and retreat into the wilderness. And there she went to work out her salvation. She went to the monastery of St. John the Baptist on the River Jordan, received confession and holy communion, and ventured out into the wilderness where she lived in the desert for 47 years. 47 years on her own. After 17 years of destroying herself and others, of desecrating God's image, She heeded the call to restore the image rather than to take the cheap way out and to give up by way of despondency. She could have said, I know God can save many, but he he can't save all. Surely he can't save me. That would be an easier thing to say. She could have said, I am impossible to love. I do not know what love is after all of the loveless days and nights I have spent. She could have condemned herself and said, I'm not worthy of love, even though I believe that there is a God who is love. Instead, she allowed the love of God to pierce straight through the thick armor of her sinfulness, through humility, and radically and absolutely trusting in Him in a way unlike any of us will likely ever have to experience. She lived a life of simplicity, eating very little, praying very much, and suffering incomprehensibly as she was striving to recover from her sin. And if you read the life of St. Mary, those of you who are not familiar with this story should read it or hear it. We have a recording of it on our website. If you're not familiar with this story or haven't heard it, at least within the last year, listen to it again. It says, in recompense, in a way, for the 17 years of sin that she lived, she suffered likewise for 17 years in the wilderness. She didn't simply repent and then feel good about herself. God loves me and and went forth. I mean, she she was motivated by the love of God, but not naively. And when she had separated herself from the source of her sin, from the place where she could fulfill and gratify her desires, she entered into a new kind of suffering. The desire to sin without the ability to gratify that desire. And that, for many, is a suffering even greater than the fulfillment of the sin itself. It feels like a fire burning within, an experience of hell, and it very much is a foretaste of what hell will be like. Not having divested yourself of your selfish and worldly desires, but still longing for them, but not being able to fulfill those desires. But instead of running back to the city and gorging yourself on wine and meat and pleasure, When she would have these intense longings, she would fall down on the ground in tears 
and weep before God and ask for his forgiveness and seek his healing until it subsided. 17 years she went through this intense pain. And 30 more years she lived in the wilderness, a life of quietness, of humility and modesty until she was discovered by St. Zosimus. And I won't tell you the rest of the story, but just aside from the fact that he went out into the wilderness during Great Lent in their monastery, they had the practice of going out into the desert for the duration of Great Lent. They would basically walk for 20 days one way, praying, doing each doing his own thing and not knowing what the others were doing and returning. And he was out seeking some great and holy man, he said. May God grant me to find some great and holy man that could guide me because he didn't think he could be bested in the spiritual life. And he was humbled by finding this thin, ascetic woman in the desert who knew his name before he even said it. He met her a year later, brought her Holy Communion. And he begged her to tell her tale, and that's why we know this story that's been passed on. And she's given to us as a model of repentance. And I think that there are a couple important lessons that we can learn that I'd like to bring out for you today from the life of St. Mary of Egypt. One of the things that I encounter often in spiritual counsel and in work with people who are becoming orthodox and who are working out their salvation, who come from our consumeristic and instant gratification culture, we long for the healing that Christ can provide, but we want it on our own timeline. We get frustrated. I remember one of you told me, you're the first priest who ever told me to slow down, or the first pastor. He told me to slow down. Slow down. Slow down because we think we can run fast enough or pay enough in order to get what it is that we desire, what will lead us where we want to go. When in fact we need His light to lighten our path and to guide our steps aright. And oftentimes the Lord actually leads us one step at a time. Before the days of light pollution, before the days of artificial electric lights and flashlights, it would be really dark at night. And if you had a lantern in front of you, you couldn't see 30, 40, 100 feet, 100 yards ahead of you. You could see just in front of you in the dark. And so to say, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path means you will guide me one step at a time. And I trust you, O Lord, just like that lantern that leads me through the darkness, even more so I put your, my trust in you to lead me in the way in which I should walk. In your time, why would there be any anxiety? Why should there be any concern? Why should we think that we need to know what the outcome of our journey will be if it's the Lord who's guiding our path? Surely he wants to lead us into his embrace. 
but we don't need to pretend like we know exactly what that will look like. I want to say in response to hearing the story of St. Mary that healing takes time. Healing takes time even after conversion. Even after a radical conversion, healing takes time. Maybe it's taken you 20 years or 30 years of developing certain habits. And you've realized just now, why so late in life a lot of times we ask, why, why am I encountering this now? Just like Christ became man at a particular place in a particular time, in the fullness of time, the fullness of time for you is now, for the Lord to reveal the next steps for you on the path of salvation. So don't ask why, just say yes. And realize, beloved, that if you have been struggling and suffering as a result of things that have happened to you and things that you have done, it will take you time to undergo the process of healing, especially if you want it to be real, especially if you want it to be true. That which is immediate and gives us immediate gratification does not give us ultimate satisfaction. We get what we want now, it immediately satisfies us, and then we want something else. And God wants to give us something that's eternally satisfying. And so for our benefit, I think, He withholds even the miracle of immediate healing for many of us so that we can experience the miracle of learning how to trust in Him unto the ages. That is a miracle that you can follow Him even though you haven't been fixed altogether. You've been forgiven. Not fixed, but you're being healed and He has not given up on you. And I will not give up on you Don't give up on Him. What a great miracle that is and a lesson that we need in our day and age. Healing takes time. And the second lesson that I think we need to hear is that we need to learn how to retreat into our own desert place and patiently wait on the Lord to our own place of silence place of quietness, our own desert place. We hear in the lives of the desert fathers and mothers that they went out into the place of barrenness. They often call it the wilderness, but they were talking about the desert where there was nothing. We think of around here in Washington, we think the wilderness as being a place where there's trees and waterfalls and rivers and things. The wilderness was a place of barrenness there. And they saw it as an image of their their own interior life. And we hear that they made the barren wilderness flourish through their tears and their turning to God. And in the middle of the first millennium, the, the desert became a city full of fragrant flowers of those who were living the ascetical life, absenting themselves from the world of comfort in order to find comfort from the Comforter, the Holy Spirit in their lives. And we need to learn how to cut off the cares of life for a time. Elder Joseph, St. Joseph the Hesychast, used to say to his brethren, cut off the cares. 
They get anxious, be anxious about many things. And he'd say, Aralampos, cut off the cares. Meaning, let God figure it out. Trust in him and all else will follow. Cut off the cares. And we need to learn how to turn off the phone, close the computer, go into a quiet place for a time. To be anxious and lost and confused within ourselves and to realize that in the desert of my own barren wilderness within myself, I can meet God And a luxuriant forest can burst forth through cultivating the seeds that are buried deep within there. That happens when we stop and when we trust in Him and when we stop trying to do it on our own with such force and vigor and zeal and self-reliance. The only way to become fully reliant on God is to cut off the cares And for you and I, a lot of times, it doesn't mean going off into the wilderness. We would kind of like that kind of vacation, I think. You know, get away from the city. But instead, what we need to do is find a place of silence where we are confronted with the reality of ourselves and stay there to the point of discomfort. For some of you, it might take 30 seconds. You're so used to to, to the noise all the time, you know, to the stimulation and having something to do. But go somewhere where you cannot be reached. And in that place of discomfort, let the comfort of God meet you. Because the fathers of the church also teach those who are seeking worldly consolation, they don't need God's consolation. Therefore, they don't receive it. And so each and every one of us needs to find a time and a place set aside where I can confront the reality of my own dis-ease with myself and I can call upon God. You don't have to disappear for years on end or for hours on end. For many of us, it just takes minutes to feel that tension within us. And then rather than saying, this isn't working, I'm not feeling it. Maybe it'll work tomorrow. No, it is working you're not feeling it is working because it's not about feeling. There's a different sensation born from the heart that is relying on God despite how he or she feels. You know the book, The Ladder of Divine Ascent, is read throughout the season of Great and Holy Lent in the church. And I've been reading through it again this year. And St. John Climacus has a word actually about this very thing about entering into this experience of silence and prayer. And I want to read a little quotation from the Ladder of Divine Ascent. St. John says, For those who have not yet obtained true prayer of the heart, violence in bodily prayer is of great help. And we talked about what that other kind of violence, the persecution of the ego and selfishness is. Violence in bodily prayer is of great help I mean stretching out the hands, beating the breast, sincere raising of the eyes to heaven, deep sighing, frequent prostrations. But often they cannot do this owing to the presence of other people. 
He's talking about those who are in busy places and in families and in the world. And so the demons especially choose to attack them just at this very time. I wish I could pray, but I can't. And as we have not yet the strength to resist them, the demons, by firmness of mind and by the invisible power of prayer, we yield to our enemies. If possible, he instructs us, go apart for a brief space, for a little bit of time. Hide for a while in some secret place. Move the clothes over in the closet. Open the door, go in there and shut the door if that's all you've got. Raise on high the eyes of your soul, but if you, if you can, but if not, your bodily eyes. Hold your arms motionless in the form of a cross in order to shame and conquer your Amalek by this sign. Cry to him who is mighty to save, not with cleverly spun phrases, but with humble words, preferably, prefer, preferably making this your prelude, have mercy on me, for I am weak. Then you will know by experience the power of the Most High. And with invisible help, you will invisibly drive away the invisible ones. He who accustoms himself to wage war in this way will soon be able to put his enemies to flight solely by spiritual means. For the latter, the overcoming of enemies, is a recompense to God for the doers of the former of quiet prayer. And rightly so. Beloved in Christ, we're being given a great blessing, a great opportunity by the church in invitation to healing, an opportunity to know the unknowable God who has yet made himself known so that he could enter into our lives and be closer to us than our own skin, more present than the air that we breathe to us. What a wonder. It is something that we should wonder about, but not wonder and walk away, but wonder and walk toward. Even when we're facing the daunting reality of the wilderness within ourselves. With humility, silence, compunction, and in our weakness calling out to God. And you can say, I am weak. Or like we heard last week, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief, God. I believe, help my unbelief repeatedly. Only you can save. I cannot save myself. Why am I failing? Why do I try so hard and fail? Because you can't save yourself. I need you, Lord. And he will meet you in the tension. And he will comfort you. If you trust in him. He's calling us all to such a life. And to such a love. May we respond with a courageous faith and a courageous repentance not born from our own ability but born from trust in him through the intercessions of our most holy mother Mary of Egypt may the Lord Jesus Christ our God have mercy on us and save us Amen